The Johnson Years, 1965-68 through 68. A Remarkable Time to Begin in Congress The November 1964 election that brought me to Congress was also the Lyndon Johnson landslide over Barry Goldwater. The four years that I would serve in Congress during the Johnson years, in the 89th and 90th Congresses, were a memorable, tumultuous time. Legislation came at us very quickly. I was sworn into office on January 4, 1965, and by April we had passed the Elementary and Secondary Education Act, the first of 60 major bills we passed that Congress. President Johnson felt he had a clear mandate from the election, and he was poised to strike. Much of the legislation had been developed by President Kennedy, so Johnson had an agenda handed to him. And many of the major bills were fully aired and, to Johnson's mind, fully settled during the campaign. So it was full speed ahead. The 89th was a Congress in which the President clearly took the lead, and Johnson was relentless in pursuing his agenda and in his follow-up with Congress. He had great energy and focus and a thorough knowledge of the institution and its members. He enjoyed the legislative process and had been involved in it for much of his life. He was constantly on the phone to members of Congress, making dozens of calls every day. Like other members, I was cornered by Johnson on several occasions, his index finger poking against my chest as he told me why a bill needed to be passed. The question on his mind was always, how do I get your vote? Johnson was a deal-maker, and he used the full powers of his office, which were considerable, to close the deal, whether it was promising a federal building or bridge for your district, offering you a trip overseas, or appointing someone you knew to an office. Anything he needed to do, he'd do. He was proud of the accomplishments of the 89th Congress, and at the end of the two years hosted a reception at the White House for what he called the Fabulous 89th, saying its record exceeded that of any previous Congress. Impressive as the accomplishments were, I did have some reservations. At mid-session, I wrote the President, saying that it might be a time to pause in the legislative flurry. We were passing a lot of major legislation aid to education, Medicare, war on poverty, all of broad magnitude, and I was concerned about implementation. I took numerous trips back home, almost every weekend, to hold public meetings with constituents to discuss what we were doing, and there was clear skepticism about the rush of legislation. It took the 1966 elections, when the Democrats lost several seats in the House, to slow us down. I had a good personal relationship with President Johnson. He took a special interest in me as a new member of Congress for reasons I never fully understood. Perhaps he overestimated the significance of my being president of the incoming House class. He was always accessible and open to my requests, and once he even came out to my district for a campaign appearance which was an unusual thing for a president to do for a member of the House. Later in his term, I offered one of the first amendments in the House to reduce funding for the Vietnam War. 
Our effort wasn't successful, but it received more votes than expected. It so happened that I went to the White House that evening for a reception. President Johnson came directly over as soon as he saw me. I still remember the disappointed look in his eyes when he said, Lee, how could you do that to me? But to his great credit, we stayed on good terms. As a master politician, he knew that down the road he would need my vote or support on something else. I actually had a less direct relationship with the House leadership early on. In the 1960s, the general advice from the congressional leadership to new members was to keep your mouth shut your first few terms in Congress, and we were told, not altogether in jest, that the senior members didn't even learn your name until your third or fourth term. 